You're listening to Fix Me a Drink, a Flaviar podcast. Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rossbaum, Flaviar's head of cocktails and spirits. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host, David Wongerich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I have, I'm going to be honest, a little bit of wanderlust, I have to say. Oh, you and me both. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, during the pandemic, we've done at least one or two episodes of our old podcast about where we would like to go if if we could go, right? We are traveling in our minds. It sounds like some kind of Walter Benjamin or Benjamin essay, right? The, the, The foreign cities of our minds. Yeah, I think mine, you know, end up looking like something in Star Wars, but... But, it, you know, but now, like, finally, after years, so I'm going to knock on wood, it seems like we're going to be able to leave the five boroughs for parts around the globe. It's possible to get out and about again, you know. And, uh, I mean, this time of year, beginning of June, you know, uh, the wanderlust, as you say, is very strong. Yes. I just I just want to uh, get on a plane and go somewhere that has cafes that I can sit in and watch the world go by there instead of watching the world go by here in New York. It hasn't helped that I've been reading um, uh, a collected work of A.J. Liebling the last couple of months. Oh. <laughs> that, that doesn't help, right? Well, that about kind of his... points you in a certain direction, doesn't right, it? Right, right. And, and, and kind of, I, if I'm going to be totally honest here, kind of sort of definitely informed my idea for this show, right? Since... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in in a couple of days, I guess I'll be heading to Paris, which I've not been in a long time, and and we're obviously talking about Paris and London today, and and where we like to drink and where we want to drink. So I feel like it's very Liebling esque that we would choose these, or or Orwell esque uh, George Orwell to like his down and out in London, Paris to to choose these two destinations of all destinations. Around well, the you club. know, these are kind of the great sort of luxury cities of the world, the cities that are so big and so well stocked with yes. things to do. Not, you know, not not just luxury and spending money, although you, you'll have no problem spending money in either of those cities. And I'll, I'll uh, I haven't yet booked my tickets for London, but I'm planning on getting there at some point, uh, hopefully this summer or the early fall. So uh, I'll stick up for London here. Depending upon what you say today, you may convince me to go with you for better yeah, or for worse. We, we may just have to go. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there, there's business to be done there. And, for uh, sure. You know, for me, bookstores to go to. But, you know, these, these, are, these are the cities that, that just have an incredible pull on a certain kind of person. And I'm that kind of person. You know, <laughs> is, 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 for, for me, it's, I, I want cities that have like restaurants and yeah. museums and uh, bookstores, as you said before, bookstores yeah. galore, antique yeah. stores, yeah. Uh, flea markets. Yeah. You know, I, I want all the accessories and historic drinking cultures, right? I mean, both London and Paris. It's... That's a huge part of it. I want to sit in historic bars where people whose books I've read in the past or whose music I've listened to or. I want to occupy their same seats and uh, and just you know dream a little bit. Drinking in the booths of greatness, you know, or on the bar <laughs> sto- on the bar stools of greatness, you know. It's yeah. a, sounds like a could be a Sitting memoir. On the bar stool of greatness. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe an, uh, uh, that that could be the title of an autobiography. Exactly. 
to get in the mood, I, I thought it is a summery day in New York today. I, I thought that I would bust out something nice since for such an auspicious occasion, right, of us uh, being able to leave the city. I, I busted a little bit of the, the new Perjouette, the new Bella Puck. Oh, cocoon nice. 2014 vintage, right? Comes in a paper, yeah. fancy paper cocoon. And it's, I know it's like a, she's showing like 50% Chardonnay, 45% Pinot Noir, a little bit of 5% of Mounier. I know it sort of tastes very citrusy and peachy. It's the vintage 2014, which obviously I did not help harvest that 2014 <laughs> you're sure you weren't there picking grapes i was not especially i'm glad not to but you did go over to turn the bottles right i did i hand riddled yeah. all the bottles but yeah. it was supposedly a very wet vintage which i you know i i have to admit i'm not sure exactly how that affects the grapes but definitely affected them and it is particularly citrusy peachy so maybe that is an effect of the wetness, but um, uh, maybe it is. But you know, I, you and I both, it does not take much to to get us to drink a nice glass of champagne. So toast to you, my friend. I'll I will toast with something different. Uh, I happen to have a pint of Fuller's London Pride here, uh, which tells you kind of where my interests lie when I go to <laughs> London. Right, it's the kind of you know. It, it's gotten to the point where uh, with all of the uh, hazy IPAs and New England ales and all this, yeah. all, all, all the uh, Captain Crunch uh, supporters and things like that, <laughs> that the American beer industry keeps churning out. It's got, gotten very hard to find uh, British ale yeah. anymore. And I've yeah. always been a huge fan. I mean, it could be a side effect of Brexit as well. Maybe which too. Is, would yeah. not be surprising. But uh, mostly, I think it's just shelf space. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the demand is small, but my part of it is is fairly significant. Those things seem, the old speckled hens of the world seemed exotic and exciting, you know, 10 years ago. And now yeah. they've, they've been pushed all the way to the the beer aisle, I know, which I know. Even, even the local grocery store near my house, there's so many beers with so many wildly creative names and packaging and flavor profiles that don't particularly um, appeal to me. <laughs> but but if you if you if you search among them, sometimes you can find something like an old speckled hen or every once in a while. I know. I mean, those are just such great session beers. Cheers. Here's to you. Well, this certainly put us in the mood to to talk about drinks. I think also is a good segue because we both of these countries have very long and historic drinking cultures. Cocktails and spirits obviously come into them, but also all mm -hmm. types of beverages. In the globe, where would you like to go first on our globe-trotting trip here, Dave? Today? Well, all right. I want to go, obviously. I, I'm going to choose London. Let's go to London. It's closer geographically yeah. to us. I want to go specifically to the city of York. Okay. It's paradoxically in London. Right. <laughs> it's a huge barn of an old pub. In Victorian years, was kind of renovated to look even older than it is, uh, to make it even kind of more retro. Amazing. Uh, because what it is, it's, it's just a huge London, city of London pub uh, with hand-pulled ale and... Uh, you know, Northern English beers, oh. uh, and it's big enough to be quiet and pleasant with booths along the side and a yeah. long bar. And, uh, 
uh, in a right on Holborn and uh, in a, in a very old part of town. Yeah. And uh, to 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 be in there is to get a sense of sort of the timelessness that London can still preserve in pockets. Yeah. And uh, that is to me that's one thing I cannot get in New York City. Yeah. You know, I can get I can get great cocktail bars. I can get innovative cocktails. I can get classic cocktails. I can get uh, fancy cocktails. I can get cheap cocktails. But uh, what I have a really hard time getting is that old English pub atmosphere. Well, it's, it's kind of like the difference between American Antiques Roadshow and British Antiques Roadshow, right? We we bring like a like a lunchbox from the 1950s and we think it's old and they bring like a chair from like the 1450s that, you know, their family's been sitting on for 30 generations, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's exactly it. Totally different. These things that, you know, these places, some of these London pubs, uh, there's, I mean, that one, that one's self-consciously old looking, yeah. you know, and, and kind of looks very much to the past, but there's also, for instance, I'll, I'll give one more bar and then, and then we'll, we'll jump into uh into where where you're uh oh, yes. you're trending but uh as long as we're talking pubs another one nearby is the uh, the famous princess louise mm. which is a classic victorian pub with stained glass and uh snugs throughout yeah. these little glass panels so that 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 separate the uh, different drinkers in, so that you can have like a group of friends and uh, not be bothered by other people's groups group of friends yeah. which is very english to me it's yeah. like i want to be in public but not that public <laughs> you know <laughs> not those people those people are horrible <laughs> you, you can look at me but from across the room yeah like, please don't approach yeah and so you're all chopped up by these little panels you're all standing at the same bar but uh you know you're you're, you're not you're not in the same group uh but the princess louise is is, is also just lovely and that's a great place to have, you know, again, a pint or or maybe a, a, a small whiskey, which is all you're going to get. It's, I don't know, uh, the places like that, again, that have been there for just so long and so many generations of drinkers have passed through, they get a certain patina that you, you can't get otherwise. I mean, that's kind of my favorite thing about London is that, you know, you could be walking along a random street you know, with modern, obviously, restaurants, doors, mm -hmm. offices, and then you duck into a doorway and you're transported back two, three hundred years in a way that's just incredible. And, and you know, I think it really, you know, maybe if we live there, it would, it would lose its effect upon us. But it, it always seems like such a weird mobius strip of of the modern and the ancient meeting you know in these pubs where it's just you know people have been coming there for centuries sometimes for the same to drink the same beer or the same drinks like it's incredible like that and and, and something that we don't really have in this country you know it, it, except for maybe france's tavern or, or some of these other, mcsorley's you know, you know mcsorley's that's true sense yeah and there are a couple places specs in san francisco yeah. is quite old and and has that feeling of, yeah. of generations having come through yeah. and that you're you know sort of part of not just the group that's drinking in the bar now but the but uh you know kind of the horizontal group but this vertical group that goes back all the way to the to the right. early days and right. that's that can be very comforting you know I, yeah. I, it can also be a little creepy i suppose that too <laughs> <laughs> like who's looking over my shoulder here i don't know 
history. Dickens, buy your own drink, damn it. Well, speaking of Dickens, there is uh, Ye Old Cheshire Cheese, oh, which yes. is a third, a third pub on uh, right off of Fleet Street, which uh, Dickens and Samuel Johnson both drank. Mm. So that's pretty good. It, it's next door to and, Sweeney uh, Todd. You know, you uh, can, is it next to next door to yeah, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber? Is that these delicious meat pies? Uh, yeah, well, that's where that's where you get your haircut after you have your pints. <laughs> exactly. And you, you know how, how London used to work, and this this is this is like a great window into old London. You've got the streets, but m- many of the businesses are up alleys on the side oh, that are too narrow to be right. uh, to, to to be to drive on. Right. And uh, so the older parts of London are like that. So this is on both sides of the alley, the Cheshire Cheese. There's the dining room on the left side of the alley. And that's very old. Right. They've still got the punch bowls lined up on the shelf from when they serve bowls of punch. Incredible. And then on the right is the little, the, the tidy little bar where you can stand. Uh, it's not a sitting uh, a sitting yeah. in stools bar. It's a standing at the bar and drinking pints bar. And uh, you can get, of course, beer served at your table or or wine or whatever they've got pretty good food or you can just go to the bar yeah and uh, they're they're essentially like two separate establishments it's kind of funny i kind of also like having the bar room separate like you know it's a different culture than the dining room it means dining room you can you can hear each other talk yeah and the bar room you can cut loose a little more now i'm like should i go to london too (laughs) It's the, it's well, the, <laughs> it's not all old stuff in no. London, you know. I mean, there are a couple new places uh, that, or newer places that I can't like go to London without stopping at. I mean, the Connaught Bar. Oh yeah, Thiago Peron who makes the most lovely martini you'll ever have. Uh, sheer elegance and indulgence. It's never cheap, but it's it's you know it's that the other side of london is is that it's a relentlessly modern city and very uh you know very luxurious it can be and elegant the con art from what i remember is right near the strand right yeah it is walking distance of the savoy almost dangerously close to the savoy <laughs> well it's very easy to put a bar crawl together that's for sure yes that is it's very tempting and, you know as long as you're there you might want to go a little further to Mayfair and go to the Browns Hotel and, oh. and the Donovan Bar there. Yeah. Where I, I, if I, you know, when I go to London, this is something I must do. I cannot go to London and not see my old friend Salvatore Calabrese. Absolutely. Il maestro, uh, you know, a man I've known for, for decades at this point and absolutely peerless bartender, impresario, uh, character, man about town, everything. You know, Salvatore wraps it all up in one raconteur. He's he's a character and a half, and he's got this lovely bar, Donovan's bar, where he'll if if you're lucky, he'll make you a a, a Negroni with a 1950s uh Tanqueray gin, 1940s martini vermouth, and 1960s uh Campari. Unbelievable. You know? And 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 it'll be there right there in front of you, looking fresh and delightful. His book about cognac, which at this point probably came out more than twenty years ago, is called The Liquid did, History. Yeah. And you know, he I haven't been to that to this bar of, of Salvatore's, but I was at 
50 St. James, that private club when he was running the bar there. And, mm. you know, wherever he goes, he always has an incredible collection of vintage spirits. Even before, I mean, he, before that was a thing, like he had all his. Oh yeah. No, he was, he, he was the first of them all to do that. He told me that he couldn't bring himself to throw away the bottles. He kept stashing them in his, to his wife's um, dismay in their, in their attic. He was and, not happy about that. <laughs> but, but, you know, he, he would know, I mean, he'd be like this, this cognac, you know, and he'd researched like, you know, world history and could be like Thomas Jefferson was, you know, in in, the, in Paris that year. And like, you know, he could really give a whole, oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. create a whole story around each glass. And of course it's like, you know, at the time, I mean, even now we're, we're could you taste any of this stuff? And, and I remember at 50 St. James, he poured me not pre-fluxure, but it was still very old cognac and, and something that was very kind of him to oh. pour since it was all very, very expensive. Um, and, and he refused to be paid for it. Um, yeah, but a very I, delicious, uh, cocktail and some delicious cognacs. He poured me a glass of, of rum once. Uh, uh, I think it was when he was at the playboy club and had that same collection oh, yeah. moved over there. Uh, and that, uh, completely changed my understanding of rum. <laughs> small thing. Just yeah, small, small thing. thing. It was a, uh, an 1890s Santa Cruz rum from St. Croix. I, I have a case of that. You should yeah, come oh, oh, over you're here. You're yeah. the guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, and unbelievable. And it was made in a different way from how rum is made today. Yeah. From different raw materials, not just molasses, but uh, other sh sugar processing byproducts and uh, you know, skimmings and stuff. And, 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 and it was both rich in molassesy and bright and grassy at the same time. Wow. And it only been in the bottle for 120 something years. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and it was still, you know, it was still yeah. drinking very well. And that was just, that was just mind blowing. Yeah. You know, so, so uh, you, one must stop in at Salvatore. I mean, as you said before, it's so easy to suddenly find yourself on a bar crawl around London. I mean, so many good bars have opened up and there's so many amazing historic bars so many good new bars so many amazing historic bars that you know it's sort of it's hard to stop at, at one no matter whatever you want it to drink in there are bars for that oh yeah london is a little easier for that than paris absolutely but paris is another place where if you're careful and know where you're going you can find some absolutely fantastic drinks and uh, really, you know, also uncover a lot of history at the same time. I have the perfect bar for you, given those criteria. <laughs> and I imagine it comes to it's on the top of your 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 list for Paris too. But of course, it's Harry's New York Bar, which, according to the entry in the Oxford Companion about Harry McLone, the the who ran it for many many decades, called him a Scot who worked in France and. And catered largely to Americans, which I kind of loved that this idea yeah. that <laughs> I mean that's Paris, right? Right. This guy who was born in Dundee, Scotland, which is not too far from St. Andrews. I remember going bowling there once. Um, you know, goes <laughs> on to, you know, have this incredible career where he, you know, works in, in Paris, he works in New York at the Plaza for a short time, he works for um Chiro in in in, in London, right? And it's like, you know, he all over the world he finally buys the new york bar that a guy named todd sloan who was a retired jockey you can't make this stuff up mm -hmm. right i mean it's like a damien yeah. runyon article right he buys the new york bar in paris runs it you know basically until i guess world war ii and they 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 leave and when they come back he takes back the bar 
and it's just like this incredible place where you know talking about drinking were legends i mean you know i, I mean i feel like every place in in paris says that ernest hemingway drank there but Hemingway definitely drank there. Fitzgerald, Gershwin. I mean, everybody, everybody drank there, and you know, still does. Really, it's. Uh, I, I love that bar. That is a bar that uh, I always go in the afternoon when I'm in Paris. That's always. I've never, in the last, you know, twenty years, I've never been to Paris without going there. Yeah, and I'll just go in the afternoon and uh, have a couple sidecars and leave. But uh, yeah. I might talk to the bartender. Some of the bartenders are uh, fun and interesting to talk to and nice. And some of them are a little more gruff. Uh, but uh, sometimes I'll talk to the other customers. It's one of those bars where customers talk to each other, where where, yeah. where the patrons uh, get into general conversation sometimes. It's one of these places where almost, you know, every, you know people would get into a cab. Mm-hmm. And right, and they go right to the the bar. Like it's almost like they get their mail there. They get their news right. They catch up as soon as they yeah. got the town. Like find out everything going on. And- I mean, it used to be it used to be the center of the American community in 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 uh, Paris, which was huge during Prohibition. Yeah. They published a guide of America, uh, uh, sort of a city directory of the Americans living in Paris, and it was like several hundred pages. There, there, and then you know after prohibition, everybody went home. But uh, but during prohibition, there were just so many Americans who looked around at home and said, "Screw this, I'm going to Paris." And Americans, we liked Paris at the time. We liked the French. The French were our friends, and so we 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 were happy to go there. That whole area, which near the opera, uh, it was in the American neighborhood. Yeah. It goes way back. There were American bars there beginning in the 1840s, which is a really long time ago. There were barely American bars in New York in the 1840s. That blew my mind when you told me about that, because I assumed that it was, you know, as, as always, that it was a prohibition thing or right before. But no, it, I mean, that's why the people went, is they knew that it was already, <laughs> there was already right. a place for them. You it was know? already set up for them. There were already a ton of bars. Right, exactly. You know, Johnny's Bar, uh, there was... Uh, the Ritz, of course, with Frank yeah. Meyer. There was the bar, the Brunswick Bar that Frank Meyer ran before he ran the Ritz. There, there, there were uh, there were a ton of bars. There was the one started by a couple bank robbers with with the loot they took out of the Boylston Bank in in, ah, in Boston. I love uh, it. I love that story. And they they couldn't keep their hands off their customers' jewelry, so they had to close. <laughs> that is an occupational hazard, I guess. Occupational hazard. Yeah, there was a Henry's Bar, which was not Harry's Bar. Right. Henry's Bar. There was the Chatham Bar down the street from Harry's. Uh, that was like full of uh, horse racing types. And yeah. Yeah, the whole, the whole world. And, and you know, and Harry's Bar still maintains a link to that, which I think is fabulous. And I love that when he buys the bar in, I think, 23, he adds harry's to it right so like you know yeah. like like there's the new york bar but now this is harry's yeah. new harry york was bar. a pioneer of self-promotion in bars but you <laughs> yeah. know it worked for him everybody oh, loved for sure bar. for sure yeah, he, I was, just, he wasn't a jerk about it well also it sort of it almost sets like a precedent you know like yes this yeah. is it but this is my version of the new york bar yes yeah, as, exactly. as, as created by a scott <laughs> yeah yeah who lived in new york for just to a couple of months, you know, and I, and I kind of also love that. Like Harry's is famous for 
a ton of drinks that supposedly were created there, which absolutely were not created there, right? No, like, apparently not. No. Right, like the Bloody Mary, the Sidecar, the White Lady, the French 75. I mean, to be even adjacent to such amazing cocktails, like one one can only dream, right? To be, mm-hmm. to, to say, Dave, did, didn't, didn't you create the Sidecar? And you'd say like, actually, I did not, but you know, Thank you. Thank you for thinking that, right? Which is, <laughs> that's right. That's which right. Is, I think it's kind of amazing. Well, it's because everybody first had them there, right. you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I saw uh, there was an ad for Harry's Bar from 1930 advertising that they had tomato juice. Right. Unbelievable. You know, that's early. I mean, there was already a tomato juice cocktail in America that was basically the 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 Bloody Mary, but... Uh, but you know, it went over to it went over early yeah. and it went through there because Harry paid attention. Yeah. You know, it was his yeah. bar and he paid a lot of attention. And uh even even now, you know, uh they might not have invented the sidecar, but they make a great sidecar yeah. and they don't they don't uh you they don't jigger it. Mm. Their bartenders have to be able to free pour it and do it accurately. Wow. And balance it correctly. And balancing a sidecar is very hard. Absolutely. Uh, I know a lot of bars today that follow recipes have trouble with it. Well, the, the Harry's one, I obviously, cognac, lemon juice, and then orange liqueur, I guess, is, is the Yeah, the they use Cointreau, Cointreau regular, yeah. traditional. Yeah. Uh, you can also use something like uh, Brand Orange Curacao. Yeah. Uh, I tend to use that these days, but I'll also do Cointreau. Yeah. You know, you you yeah, and you've got to balance the the lemon juice and the orange liqueur without like cheating and putting extra sugar in there <laughs> or anything, which which is right. an easy way it to is, do it. It is, but that is that is quite difficult. And I and I have to say, as somebody who's made some pretty mediocre sidecars, it's mm-hmm. not as easy as it looks. Like no, you know, it's not. That's... It's not. But it sure is tasty when you get it right. Absolutely, too tasty almost. Um, oh my god, yeah. So, okay, if you're starting off at Harry's, then where do you go? We've mentioned the bar Hemingway, or we mentioned the the Frank Meyer at the Ritz. I mean, the Ritz mm-hmm. Hotel. I mean, obviously, incredible history of cocktails and bars there. Frank Meyer, we did a seminar at Tales of the Cocktail with Francois Monty years ago about Frank Meyer, you know, and uh, yeah, which is know, fascinating. About his, yeah, about his history. And there's all types of theories about him about being a spy during World War II. And, spy, collaborator, nobody's sure, you know, he was accused of both. All types of stuff going on. You know, some people think that he was Jewish. It turns out, I think Francois found out that he was not really, but like, you know, Nobody knew where he was buried, but you know we were able to track that down. I mean, it's all he of this. He fought in the French Foreign Legion during World War One, you know, which is amazing. I mean, he he invented, or or we think he invented the bee's knees, right? That yeah. that cocktail. Um, you know, there are other. You know, he he wrote a very early cocktail book too that he handed out. So I mean, the, the Ritz itself has all types of incredible history, and then you know Hemingway, as as any Hemingway fan knows you know he he was he was a huge huge fan of that hotel and as as the gaul is liberating mm-hmm. the city i think hemingway ran to the ritz so that he could say that he liberated the hotel i think he That's ran the ritz bar right <laughs> he went right to the champagne cellar what was left yeah. there right and yeah. opened up some champagne is no doubt very thirsty well it's thirsty work is the being Hemingway. Um, yeah. Yes. Being Hemingway. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's very, very <laughs> tiring. 
yeah. but you know they you know at a, at a certain point they turned the back bar which you know uh i was always told that hemingway preferred it was where a lot of the women would drink uh since i think they weren't let into the other bar they weren't so let they, into the main bar but uh the back bar was where where they would drink and then hemingway the and men others could drink there too and, and, yeah. and kind of the cool ones did they were like, I'm not going in there. That's, the, the girls are in here. Right. Know? Why would we drink with these Why stuffy old these guys? Stiffs, right. Know? That's this is that was where the fun was being had. So Hemingway, yeah. like the back bar, ultimately, you know, at some point the Ritz not that long ago created a bar Hemingway in his in his honor. And then mm -hmm. uh, uh old friend Colin Field ran that bar for decades. He he just stepped down or is, yeah, is leaving the bar. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was very, Colin was always, I would, I always enjoy talking to him about some of his escapades, you know, like, Oh, what, what are you doing now? Colin, like, Oh, I, well, I, I just had a, you know, bartend so-and-so's wedding. And it would be like Kate Moss's wedding or yeah. something crazy, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, he, he'd downplay it, you know, uh, like, you know, I, when the Ritz was closed for years for their, for their multi-year renovation, I think, he was flying around Air France's one of their planes making cocktails. Like they had a bar in some yeah. of their first class, you know, uh, sections. So, well, it's a and, nice gig. It's a nice gig. <laughs> I, I, I had to follow once uh, uh, giving a talk. I had to follow uh, Salvatore Calabrese, who who told about uh, making how to make drinks for the Queen. Wow. <laughs> And uh, I was just going to, you know, talk about making regular drinks, normal <laughs> chuckleheads like me. And uh, that was tough. I, I, I a little tough. Figured a out a tough. way, but uh, ooh. <laughs> yeah, you don't really want to follow somebody like Colin or Salvatore. No, you know, no. it's better well, to they, go first. Uh, if, if they're telling anecdotes, they've got anecdotes. You got to find another way. It is, and, and over the years, like Colin had, you know, gotten all types of. Hemingway or Hemingway uh, period pieces, ephemera that you know were yeah. on the walls, and folks like Kate Moss would drop off typewriters and other you know all types of crazy stuff, almost sort of like the Twenty One Club of of yeah. Paris. So that that's always. I mean, I was hoping to see Colin there, but swing by at least to, to see the ghosts of the Ritz. Then it's sort of you know there's almost like a big time jump right between. Mm -hmm. The traditional bars, and then you have a whole new generation of craft cocktail bars, right? That have opened. A lot of them have taken the PDT, you know, modern speakeasy approach to heart, which mm -hmm. I think is, is is sort of funny because, as uh, somebody once said to Simon Ford, well, you know, London doesn't really have that many speakeasy bars, and he said, well, we didn't have prohibition. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's Why a reason. Wait, we, we don't need to do that. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I think that's kind of what. Why these, are we adding these things? What's one of these funny things where, in the last ten or fifteen years, the speakeasy culture that grew up in in the East Village of New York, mm -hmm. you know, it, uh, Angels uh, Share and PDT have has now gone global. So there's plenty of those bars. One, obviously, the Experimental Cocktail Club, which opened, you know, at this point. 15, 16 years ago. Yeah, they've ago, been experimenting for a while. They have been experimenting for a while. They've gone global. There was one in New York for a while. They've gone global. Yeah. That's definitely one to go. And then I, I have to say, sort of embarrassing, but I've never been to uh, La Maison de Whiskey, the famous oh. uh, 
Parisian liquor shop. So that is a very, very dangerous shop to go into, Noah. Yes. I mean last time I was in Paris, I stayed across the street from it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I had to resist. It, it, they I was have able to get out with only one bottle from there. Okay. But that well, took that, a lot of willpower. That they have all types of spirits, you know, rare stuff, stuff that oh, I, I got a pot still Guadalupe rum. Right, brand new, and like, you know, where you to find that? Still rum in, in in the French Caribbean in a really long time. It, it, Guadeloupe or Martinique. It was almost like that bottle was waiting just for you, Dave. Yeah, like it, they had, had, it had my name on it. Yeah, literally behind the shelf, you know, like some kind of trick. But yes, I, I I'd like to go see La Maison do the whiskey, and then uh, I don't. There, there's uh, you know, with all this drinking, I think you need to eat. The last time I was in Paris, my wife and I went to the famous De Magot, which has always been like a, oh, yeah. a tourist trap for generations. Yeah. And we had the loveliest lunch. It was springtime. We sat outside on the sidewalk. The waiter was super professional and amusing. Yeah. And we ordered carefully. You know, we chose the most traditional stuff on the menu. Yeah. A glass of wine, a, a croque monsieur, basically yeah. open-faced cheese sandwich, you know. Yeah. And uh, came with a little green salad, and uh, it was what's good. not to like, you know. That was that was just absolutely lovely. That that may or may not be on my list. Um, I have to say, so hopefully, uh, I'm going to be there when uh, our old friend Neil Bodenheimer from New Orleans from Cure mm-hmm. will be there. I don't think they'll be able to understand his French. Sounds a little bit different. <laughs> well, if it's in New Orleans now. <laughs> You know, also, as you said, there's so many old bookstores and, and cookbook mm-hmm. stores and be on the hunt for you. I'll keep one eye open for uh, old barware and cocktail books. So, Oh, you never know. You know, there's you always, know. there's always a, the last time I was uh, not the last time. A couple of times ago, I was in Paris. I got a beautiful copy of uh, this 1948 French cocktail book mm. for less than $20 Amazing. in a cookbook store. That, that wasn't so interested in cocktails. Right. So, you know, you never know what you could find. You never know what's going to be there. Well, that, that's, yeah. that's the hunt. Well, this sort of kicks off our, our globe-trotting tour. We'll do some more episodes, I think, for, for other cities. But uh, There are other cities worth drinking in, that's for sure. I, that's what I've heard. But now. I don't think you can find better places to start than that. <laughs> In London and Paris, I got to say. Absolutely not for our for our, for our world tour. So uh, uh, safe travels to you, Dave. And to you, uh, happy trails. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, pull up at the chuck wagon and uh, yeah. talk it over when we all get back. We'll have one for the road. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers.